welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Christopher, and I am here with Tom again. Tom, how have you been? I am just fine, although it's been a very long week for only working two days. <laughs> oh, yes, no, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Uh, I took uh, last Monday, or this this Monday off, and so apparently the week has decided to throw as many Mondays in as it possibly can for me. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I'm doing the same. I also took Monday off coincidentally yeah yeah paying for it paying for it pretty much <laughs> well this should be a fun episode because we have a guest with us again returning to the show is nick brown nick how have you been thanks for joining us hey i've been doing really well guys thanks for having me on the show and just as a side note i took monday off too so did you, you wow. know yeah there's a I theme did, so it's it's a theme if you've got to use a vacation day, a Monday's a good day to use it. Oh, absolutely! So. And and for some of us, we got another Monday coming off, uh, coming up with Memorial Day. So we got oh, a, that's right, another long weekend. I, I get a bonus because uh, where I work, we get Friday and Monday. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Four-day weekend, maybe. That's uh, that's well. so European. <laughs> <laughs> I um I actually took last Friday off as well, so I, I just got off a four day weekend, and so that's uh-huh. where I feel like um. I tell you, after after taking four days off, you realize just how much you don't like working. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Uh. It was kind of funny time. I was thinking about uh the show our last show, as I took Friday and Sunday, I I hit the road and just went wandering. Yeah. And I'm just out on the open road and everything, and yeah, there was a couple times where I'm thinking. After seeing Duel, I'm a little hesitant to pass anybody. <laughs> Just watch those trucks. Yeah, no, I, I steered clear of any large, any old, rundown-looking trucks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and if you watch the car and watch Duel, you know, pretty much you're just screwed for driving around. That's Which all there is, is exactly to it. what we just did. Those are our last yep. two episodes. So. See, <laughs> and and I love the car. By the way, that is a uh, that was one of the first movies we did on the B Movie Cast when I joined. Oh, awesome! And yeah, and uh, that is a film I have shown that to so many people over the last five or six years, because I just, I really have grown to appreciate that film. So there you go. Yeah. I think that like Tom and I had said, and it had been mentioned on the group and then in Twitter and everything for a lot of us, that was like our first horror movie because it was yeah. on TV all the time. Mm. Yeah. And it's a good entry level horror movie. Not a lot of gore, mostly suspense, not not overtly terrifying, just uh, makes you shake at the sight of a 
Black Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> a black Lincoln with the evil eye headlights. Mm-hmm. Now I just want one. <laughs> yeah. And plus, you know, you've got Thanos' dad, so what more could you ask for? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, the Brolin father. Yeah, it's rolling with Brolin. Now that's a <laughs> podcast. I should start that. Rolling with just just cover all the films of Brolin. Yeah, rolling with the Brolin. Brolin got family. two generations. It's right. And maybe he'll come on the show because you know why not? Yeah, if you, if you dedicate a show to him, he kind of has to. I think you're obligated. <laughs> it's it's a rule. Is that how that works? Because yes. uh, I got a number of folks that I would probably like to do that. With. <laughs> Not not before I start my all summer glow all all the time my uh, summer yeah, cast. No. <laughs> <laughs> so summer, as soon as you're willing to join us, uh, we'll be happy to talk about you for a solid year or so. <laughs> yeah, or she can just join us. She's like, I've I've thought about reaching. I was like, look, you're not really working much or anything. You want to just <laughs> just want to be a be a host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what what about that restraining order? I mean, is that mm. still in place? <laughs> no, no, that 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 expired. It's all good. Oh, okay. Well, we're good. Then. <laughs> oh, those expired. Well, Nick, I appreciate you coming on. I think it's going to be a fun episode. There is a couple news stories that came up. Uh, one's a little old. I think by the time everyone gets around to hearing this, it's going to be almost a month old. But it was it's kind of like in between recording when this came up. Yeah, uh, Universal Pictures with their uh, sequel to the Trolls movie. Trolls World Tour, they yeah. decided, um, you know what, we're going to just, we're not going to wait for the, the theaters to open. We're going to throw it out on uh, VOD. And they've yeah. actually made this decision like right before the theaters all officially closed. The theaters, I think, were still kind of tiptoeing around the whole COVID thing and they were trying like uh, lower capacity and things like that. So they hadn't officially all shut down. And Universal made this announcement that it was just going to go straight to VOD. And the film did really well you know, on, on that format. It, you know, it was like yeah. 20 bucks, and the family gets to watch the movie. And it was, it was on several st- streaming services, you know, Prime, Hulu, Netflix, whatever. And Universal said, you know what? That's awesome. We're just going to do this from now on, all their yeah. films. It was like, yeah. well, well, even when the theaters come back, they're saying, well, it'll be in the theaters, but we're going to release it on VOD as well. AMC Theaters took a little umbrage at this move (laughs) and they put out their own press release and said that they will boycott all universal pictures unless they reverse their stance. So I was kind of curious what you thought about this. Um, I'm personally kind of a little bit on the side of universal. I mean, it's their property. It's their movies. I understand where AMC is coming from, but it's universal. I mean, they can kind of do what they want. I mean, it really comes down to one of these guys is going to flinch. So what's your thoughts and who do you think it's going to be? Well, I used to work at a movie theater and that was back when I was in college. And I have a great deal of, uh, I have a great love for seeing films in theaters. And I really kind of cringe that Universal's pushing this out there because this has been one of those, you know, this has been a dark cloud looming on the horizon for cinematic experience for the past, you know, 10 years or so. And smart people have actually been seeing it coming for longer than that. And I guess it comes down to 
how much of the going to a movie experience are you willing to pay for if the same film is available right here at home? Because I totally understand, you know, if you've, especially if you, you know, it's just me and Fiona, so it's two of us. And even two of us going to the movies for 20 bucks is not that easy. You know, especially you buy your drinks, you buy your popcorn, next thing you know, you're taking out a second mortgage, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but you get the cinematic experience. Now you got Universal coming along and saying, hey, uh, for 20 bucks, you can own this movie or at least rent it for a several days and watch it as many times as you want in the comfort of your home. And if you've got five kids, you didn't just pay 75 bucks to go see one movie. So I see both sides of it. I guess you said about which side's going to flinch first. I kind of feel like AMC, I'm not going to say they back themselves into a corner, but if they do flinch, I'm going to bet that the other uh, studios are watching. Mm. And if they do flinch you're going to see a lot of simultaneous releases start happening. Uh, I think Disney has said that the Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, they're not going to do that. But there's a good chance that you'll see a lot of the other players jump into that field. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, Tom, you got a thought? Um, actually, uh, well, one, I am on Universal's side on this. Uh, and I think they're just going to be end up being kind of a leader in this uh, this realm if they stick to their guns. I don't think uh, AMC is going to have the uh, – the. they're not going to have enough traction to really – The resolve. Hold. Yeah, they're, they're not going to – I mean, the distributors are where they get their product to stay in business in the first place to make those kind of demands – of the per of the group making the <laughs> putting out the content is not that's not going to fly. What what I'm excited by here um, is there's opportunity in this, and it, there's a world changing here. And um, Universal is trying to meet a market in its need right now and wants to build upon that. I am a theater goer. I love going to theaters. And one of the things that's happened in the past several years anyways is in order for the theater to justify its existence, it's had to up its game on what's available, what makes it the experience that you want to have that you're going to willingly pay uh, a premium to go see it. Um so I think the idea that they now have to compete with the home market, yes, you're going to get more movies getting more backing because, yes, the family unit can now watch it at home. But now this means for the theaters to stay in business, they're going to have to find that new thing, that next thing, that that reason to come in. And I think they can. Um, there's been lots of great technology, uh, and it's not even – Technology, technology. It's not necessarily the screen or the sound, although those are all coming along very well. Um, but it's the it's the premiums. It's the big luxury lounger. Uh, it's the the D box stuff that will give you kind of a more visceral experience by shaking the chair and all that. It's the we'll serve you an entire meal at uh, at your at your uh, at your chair as a group 
those kind of things are going to make the uh, theater uh, universe evolve. They're going to give you more opportunity. I'm kind of excited to see, while AMC might be going, oh, I don't want to change the people that have their eye on, ooh, but I could do this, this, or this. I'm looking forward to seeing what they'll do. Yeah, interesting. I mean, there's interesting and good points on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree, Tom, that the uh, if the theaters want to th- – this is, like you said, writing on the wall. This was going to happen at some point. Universal was just the first one to pull the trigger. And like Nick was saying too, the last 10 years, as more and more streaming services and the movies, it was obviously going to happen. It was a question of when. So, yeah, you just have to – yeah, you have to evolve or you die off. And I would hate to see theaters go. You're right. It, there is a certain experience about it. But there is also that cost. Yeah, a family of four, $75, that's just the tickets. You want to try to – now you got to get them popcorn and drinks. You can easily drop $100, $150 for a family of four at a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Maybe it comes down to someone needs to renegotiate – who gets and and pays for what you know in the theater? I know theaters make almost nothing off the actual films that they show. They make the yeah. bulk of their money on their concessions. Maybe that's something that needs to be renegotiated. But whether they have any real power to do so, if the, the if those studios and just go, well, if you don't like it, we'll just show it on everyone's TV anyway. I don't know. I, it it doesn't look good for the theaters. I will admit. Well, it doesn't, and I think this also goes back to, if you go back in history to the really old days of cinema, uh, there, and I cannot remember the name of the legislation, but basically there was a period of time when, when movie theaters were owned, theater chains were owned by the studios. And so your MGM theaters would be showing MGM movies and that sort of thing. And... That got ruled as being kind of a uh, monopolistic kind of situation, so it got knocked out. Well, now what are we doing? We're having the same thing happening with streaming services, mm-hmm. you know, and, and God help us all, Disney owns everything now. <laughs> so, you know, with Disney, uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Disney owns something in the neighborhood of 45% of theatrical release film content at this point because they own Fox, they own the entire Disney canon, they own, you know, on the newer side, they own the Marvel stuff, but that's a drop in the bucket, really. Uh, The big deal is they own all the Fox properties. You know, couple that with the Disney stuff. And if they decide to just run that stuff on Disney+, Plus. And maybe on Amazon, if you pay to buy or rent it, uh, what's that, you know, is that monopolistic? That opens up that whole question, too. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a strange new world, and I think everybody is excited and terrified at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and somewhat related, um because of the, the COVID issues and, you know, the theaters not really knowing what they're going to do once they're allowed to open and everything, there's a lot of people that think the drive-in is going to see a renaissance. And I, I'm, I can I'm get totally get on board with that. Absolutely. 
I would love that. There used to be a drive-in theater not 20 minutes from our house. And Fiona and I used to go see movies at that pretty regularly because I love the big screen experience. I love the experience of the drive-in in general. But you know what I really like? I like being able to roll up my windows and not listen to other people around me. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, so I get that big screen experience without having to tell somebody to shut up and worry about getting punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm all for this. Yeah, back in the day, there was a drive-in that's so close to my house that if it were still there, we'd probably be able to hear the movies play. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's long gone, and it's just an office park now. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was, apparently, I, I looked around, I did some research, and right here in Cincinnati, just from where I'm sitting, there was probably... 10 drive-ins like within 20 minutes of (laughs) of my house (laughs) yeah no i miss the days of all the drive-ins in in cincinnati that's where i watched a whole bunch of the movies that we've even discussed yeah so um i could see this being kind of like a happy medium you know if if amc and and the other theaters are are concerned or whatever open drive-ins because i think that's like like this great like in-between thing yeah sure you can watch it at home but you could also go to this really neat experience see it in the big screen under the stars uh you still get the concessions everyone's you know it's a little less because you're the car load the prices aren't going to be as high as going into the actual you know uh brick and mortar theaters but strike where the iron's hot of course finding real finding real estate for a new drive-in might be a little tricky yeah well you know there's always the uh the toxic waste dump right next door there's usually a field that's open we have so, one of those you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, just saying, you know, find a couple of those EPA super fun sites. And yeah, the Fernald Drive-In. Yeah. Oh, they can power the projector by the, from the uh, nuclear pile. Exactly. <laughs> but I think, uh, like, like you're mentioning with the drive-ins and all that, uh, it, 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 and since you point out, they don't make the money on the film itself. This is the opportunity to up the game on the experience. Um, you you find that new thing, that new way to to uh, bring in the audience so that they can have a, a better experience. So, like one of the things, e- even just a smaller thing, and I'm not going to tell any one particular chain over another, but um, um, I belong to one of those um, movie past things for a particular movie chain um and the way that they run their program like i've been going ahead and paying the monthly thing even though i can't go to the theater because it gets me a ticket each month and they don't not go they don't go away so when i do so uh yeah by the time i get back to the theater i'll be able to get like four people in the door with no without having to shell out a dime extra other than popcorn and candy and such and that's what uh this is going to force is uh it we're at a point in um entertainment evolution where things have to change anyways so if the old guard wants to stick around they got to find a new way of doing things and uh there's opportunity here amc needs to stop trying to force a, a production company to 
alter its plans and figure out how to turn it into an advantage. Mm-hmm. I do like yeah. uh, many of the theaters. Uh, I know some around here, and I've, I've heard about it countrywide, that just to give themselves something to do and make a little bit of money, they've been selling big bags of popcorn. <laughs> and that, to me, is the theater experience. I don't know what it is about movie theater popcorn, but that is the best damn popcorn. <laughs> nothing you buy in the stores, not whether you pop it yourself, whether you microwave it, nothing matches the taste of movie theater popcorn. And I absolutely love that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've made so many different kinds at home, and I go, it, none of Not it's the, the same. same. <laughs> <laughs> and they always add, they, 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 they put, fill that giant bucket or bag of popcorn, and they always ask that silly question, do you want butter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> all right, well, I, it's an interesting, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how it all shakes out and see what happens from this. And, uh, yeah, like, like Nick said, boy, and, and Tom both said, you're, they're going to be, other studios are going to be watching to see what happens yeah. and, and see how well, this all shakes out. Yeah. And the last, my last thought on this is also, I think, uh, the other reason AMC is the one that stepped up on this of all the big theater chains, none of them are doing particularly great right now. Mm-hmm. But AMC is the one who's closest to uh, bankruptcy. Right, right. So that that's another thing on the, that's on their minds, I imagine. Yeah, I have to think that their their resolve is going to end right when the next Universal film that is like almost the guaranteed uh, opening day box office smash comes around. And I think then that's when AMC is going to go, well, I think they've learned their lesson. <laughs> yeah. So when The Mummy 2 with Tom Cruise comes out, they'll be like, oh, we've got to, no, we've got to have that. Yeah. Yeah, I, they need to pick a better horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, a couple more news stories. These will go a little quicker than this one. I knew that was going to be a little bit of a conversation. Uh, we've talked about it. There was rumors about it, but it is apparently official that CBS All Access is going to do a new series with the event called Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which will focus ca- around Captain Pike, Mr. Spock, and number one aboard oh, the oh. Enterprise. So uh, it looks like Anson Mount, Rebecca Romaine, and Ethan Peck are all going to be returning um, to the roles. So... Damn, they're making it really hard for me to not have CBS All Access. That is definitely going to be with these things. Where they're going to get really tired of me joining and canceling. <laughs> yeah, but that's still how that's going to go. It's it going to be a join and cancel. Binge join, binge, cancel. Join, binge, cancel. Join, binge, cancel. <laughs> well, and that's going to be it for any of these uh, streaming services that can't provide more hooks. And, you know, I did the join for CBS All Access. I watched Picard. I watched Discovery. I canceled. Yep, same. You know, that's the thing. I looked at everything else they were offering, and I was just like, meh. <laughs> you know, that's nice. Star Trek, though. Okay, cool. Everything else, meh. There's a lot of people that are really hoping that this new series will kind of go back to, like, the old Trek, where it's just the episodic television and not the – uh not the long form story that we've been seeing with like Picard and discovery. <laughs> and that would be really awesome to actually have a series that you could just 
oh, this episode, and just start watching without needing to worry about whether you saw the one before it or see the one after it? Yeah, I kind of miss that. Well, I have to think that's one of the reasons something like the original series and Next Generation and those episodes are still watched and still loved today is because you could air them in any order. It didn't matter. You The syndication with them is what gave them their audience. It wasn't so much yeah. when they ran the first time. It was because you could syndicate it and air it whenever. And if you didn't see the episode beforehand, eh, chances are it didn't matter. That's true. And I think that carried on even through most of Enterprise. Now, Enterprise did have a lot of over, you know, the overarching story stuff, but right. there were still lots of good one-off episodes or even two-parters. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of my favorite of the modern generation Star Treks is the two-part episode right at the end of Enterprise when they did the uh, the the Mirror Universe. Oh, that was a fun one. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that, though, you could just walk in and watch those two episodes, and it helped if you knew all the backstory. But honestly, you could have a lot of fun with it just knowing who the characters were. Right. Well, interestingly, so. I'm actually re-watching Enterprise right now for all of those reasons that, that I like occasionally just having that episodic, I just... I can have a fun-size episode where I just yeah. watch this one, enjoy it, and then that's done. Uh, interestingly, uh, while everyone kind of remembers the overarching story in Enterprise, that was only third season. Mm-hmm. Other three were just the episodics. You like that there's a tiny bit of overlap. You know, you have the little right. itty-bitty bits of story that kind of run as a theme, but yeah, with Enterprise, that really wasn't until the third season, and that's when they were getting kind of desperate. They were like, oh, our viewership's down. Uh, we need to really get something that's going to bring people in and keep them. And that's where they went to the episode, to the uh, more overarching storyline. Mm-hmm. Well, that was also a response. I think the third season, that was kind of like their, their 9-11 series, uh, season, wasn't it? Was that the second or the third season that had the I whole the se- with the the, 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 third the, season the oh, yeah, one the, with the Zindi? Yeah, yeah, the second didn't the second season end with the Zindi attack, and then the third season started with it, or something like that. It, to me, it oh, felt my. a little bit like okay, we need to deal with the uh, with like nine eleven, so let's tell it in the, yeah. let's tell the story in a uh, science fiction realm, and that actually I didn't really care for that season. I think maybe if I went back and watched it now, I might appreciate it more. But at the time, there was like, like, boy, this is a raw nerve that you're kind of picking at here. I, I don't need. Yeah. I see this every time I turn on the TV on like every network on every station. I don't need to see this in my Star Trek. So I was a little turned off yeah. by that. Actually, well, the like- funny thing is that's the season I love. <laughs> I anytime I'm watching that, it it reminds me so much of Star Blazers. <laughs> it it. it it's an attack on Earth. They send out a single ship to solve everything. It gets pounded to hell and back. No pressure. And, and they come out <laughs> with a win in the end. I had not made that connection, but you are correct. Mm. That is totally the quest for Iskandar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like the episodics on that, and... And I do think that's something that's been missing from a lot of science fiction and fantasy TV now. Mm-hmm. It's and most general TV, but especially 
it used to be you could watch your Star Trek, your Space 1999, you know, your Lost in Space, the first series, you know, and just watch <laughs> it and just, hey, look, here's here's a start of a story and it's wrapped up by the end. Yes. And you know that they're not going to be found. They're going to stay lost in space. If it was Battlestar Galactic in the 70s, they weren't going to get anywhere. Uh, you know, just they're just going to keep rolling along. Yep, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, it's just been announced that this is going to happen. There's no word about stories or, or you know, yeah. air dates or anything like that. But after watching, you know, the second season of Discovery, those, I mean, certainly the Captain Pike was the character I was most interested in. Uh, it's really, which I think is kind of not so good of a thing to say about Discovery is when the star of your show is like the least interesting character that you have. Um, yeah. I'm afraid well, she, she could leave and never come back and I'd be okay with that because everyone else aboard that <laughs> ship I find so much more interesting. Yes. And okay, I'll tell you the funny one. I had to kind of quit watching them with Fiona because she wasn't enjoying them. And I asked her why. And she said it's that main character. Yeah. She just found her pretentious and boring. And she was much more interested in the other characters, but they weren't spending enough time on them. So, right. you know, I, you know, so I'm off on my own watching it. But that's okay. But if they if they announced a uh, Ensign Tilly series, I'd be like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I watch Suru anytime. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, I'm a starship guy. Love my starships. Um, I find it incredibly funny that the second season, my favorite stuff is to catch the Enterprise in it. Because <laughs> Discovery is so absolutely hideous. <laughs> I really can't stand that ship at all. And anytime the Enterprise showed up, I'm like, oh. Yeah. No, <laughs> there she uh, is. The actual discovery, it, it does fail to really um, give any sense of awe when you see it coming down off, you know, into orbit or something. You're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also That's... interesting that that was uh, that, that the ship itself. Um, and I've been catching up a lot on this uh, online. Um, the design for the discovery is a failed design for the Enterprise refit. Yeah. When. Uh, when they were going to try to go for a was, another series, was that uh, that wasn't a Macquarie uh, drawing or design, was it? Or Ralph Macquarie? Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. Maybe it was not. I, I could be I could be mistaken about that. But yes, I did. I do know when they were first talking about the Star Trek Phase Two, uh, and before it went into the Star Trek the Motion Picture, that yes, that was a potential design of Enterprise. Glad they didn't go with that then. Yeah. <laughs> but but it spins. Yeah. Uh, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> Last news story. This just happened just this week of recording. Um, I don't know if either one of you two have watched CW's Batwoman, but the star, uh, Ruby Rose, has announced that she will not return for season two, and they will recast the role. And that would that came as a, a bit of a shock to just about everybody, uh, me because I was a little surprised there was going to be a season two because the show <laughs> the show has not exactly set my world on fire or anything. Um, it's been okay. Again, it's one of the show that 
the star character is one of the more less interesting people. I've, I find more interest in like the villain, their villain of Alice, who was kind of like a female Joker is phenomenal. I love watching and anything that has to do with her, but there is a severe lack of Batwoman in a show called Batwoman. <laughs> <laughs> the CW just kind of frustrates me all the way around because Every show that they have desperately screams that they want to have a live-action Batman series, but have yet to actually cast a live-action Batman series. The Arrow had all of Batman's villains. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Batwoman is a an aside story from more current comics that I, didn't excite me that much to begin with, and the series has never held any serious sway for me so yeah i just feel like they want to do something that they're just not devoting any energy to yeah well it can't be that they've run out of beautiful people to cast because that's <laughs> that's always my joke in the cw there you know the the most hideous person in the cw movie is a is a low-grade supermodel or excuse <laughs> me a cw show so you know it's it's like then you turn on something like Battlestar Galactica and you got Edward James Almost's craggy face up there. <laughs> arr, arr. You know, if that was the CW, it'd be Josh Brolin with, with CGI to make him look younger. You know, <laughs> There is so many things that I think the CW does right with a lot of their shows, but then they also just uh, do just as many things wrong. Um the Ruby casting the Ruby Rose, I think, was one of the right things. I think she's a yeah. interesting actress. I think she's great. Yeah. I like seeing her. I was really excited. I, I wouldn't have been excited for a Batwoman series except that it starred Ruby Rose. Yeah. And so now that she's leaving, I barely watch the series now. It's kind of one of those things that I go, "Oh, right, that was on," and then I'll I'll have to catch up on like three episodes. I'll just you know pull up the CW app and and, and burn through a couple episodes. Now. Yeah. I I don't know. I'll probably tune in to the second season to see if I like the person they cast or or not. But like I said, Ruby Rose is kind of what was pulling me in, and Alice is what keeps me there. I, I yeah, can't. Right. I, unfortunately, I can't think of um, the actress's name. Uh, she's got an odd last name, and I can't. I'm blanking on it, and I could look it up, but I'm not going to at the moment. Sorry, but. Um, <laughs> But she's got a lot of great uh, DC cred because she played um, – she was in the original Birds of Prey when she was like 16 years old. Oh, wow. She played oh, the young – yeah, she played the young uh, like daughter of uh, the Black Canary. Huh. I did not know that. Yes, yeah, fantastic. And so she's uh, – then she went on to do um, do lots of other things and she appeared in the, uh, the uh, sci-fi series uh, Lost Girl. And so now she's in Batwoman as the villain – and yeah, she does a fantastic job. So maybe I'll keep tuning in just to see what kind of mischief she gets up to. Well, and you're searching for Rachel Scarsden. Scarsden, thank you. I kept thinking mm. of Scarsgard, and I'm like, that's no, that's right. not right. That's somebody else. No, she's not one of those one of the Scarsguards. But, <laughs> yeah. but I do think it's funny because the one the one bit that stood out when I heard about Ruby Rose uh, leaving Batwoman. The thing that stood out was that the CW actually came out and said, and it's not because of the accident. Yeah, yeah. She did you have know. a very serious accident. She had uh, two compressed uh, discs, I think it was. She yeah. had to have emergency surgery because she was, like, 
on the cusp of being paralyzed. Yeah. And it was Which, from the stunt work that she was doing yeah. on the show. But no, that had nothing to do with it. And and my thought is kind of, are you sure? <laughs> who, <laughs> who decided that Ruby Rose was leaving? Well, there's uh, been a couple things that have come out just recently. Like I just saw it uh, posted today that there was um, – Maybe doing a series, as it turns out, really wasn't something that she was happy doing. Uh, mm. She was uh, finding the the long hours and and the, the all the work a little too much. And apparently, she's uh, a person who has dealt with mental health her whole life, and it was just sort of weighing on her a lot. And I think just yeah. for her own personal well being, I think that's why she's going to step away. I could see her certainly trying to do more film work. Uh, but maybe just well, uh, maybe just television, it's just not for her right now. Well, I'm just saying, Phase Marvel Phase Four has to cast a whole bunch of X Men. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she I hope she still comes and hangs out and does stuff in the genre. You know, I think that would be awesome. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see her again. I was hinting there when she's listening to the podcast later on. <laughs> hint, hint, Ruby. I know you're listening, Ruby. Oh, yeah, she's totally tuned in. Uh, yeah. Her and Summer Glau. <laughs> Come join us, Summer. Happy to talk. <laughs> or Ruby. And I'll, ha- I'll have or you Ruby. on. Uh, I'll have you on Rolling with Brolin, too. <laughs> <laughs> really trying to get this off the ground, aren't you? Not hard. all right well that's all the news stories i had unless you either you guys had anything else that you wanted to mention or talk about Uh, the only thing i can think of is speaking of cbs all access uh today they released cast photos from the new uh i guess it's going to be a series the stand ah yes oh interesting based on the king stephen king yeah, yes. based on Stephen King and this, and I think some of the casting looks really good. I think some of the casting looks kind of questionable, but uh, I also speaking had of doubts. a Skarsgård. Uh, yep, that's exactly where I was going. Because what is it? it which Skarsgård is it? Alexander. Yeah, Alexander Skarsgård is going to play Randall Flag, hmm. and I saw the picture, and he looks very Randall Flaggy to me. So, I'm not as in love with Whoopi Goldberg, though, as, uh, oh God, what's the, the old lady's name in it? I am the not hundred. up on my stand. Yeah, there's a, the, the whole thing falls around the Mother Abigail. So she's a 108 year old lady. And in the book and in the original series, she was described as being this tiny, frail, you know, the wind blows and this little 108-year-old lady could just fly off like a leaf in the wind. And I saw the pictures of Whoopi Goldberg, and Whoopi Goldberg is a – she's a wonderful actress, but she just looks too daggone healthy to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I saw the pictures, she did not look like 108 years old. You know, she looked like – she looked like – hell, she looked better than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. If she's 108, then I want to take whatever drugs she's taking right now, and lots of them. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I, I hadn't heard about that. I didn't. I actually, yeah. I, I missed completely missed the news that they were going to do a series on the stand. Interesting. Mm. Caught well, that actually, just moments before this. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, it's actually wrapped principal production in March. Oh, wow. So uh, it's in post now, but there's no uh, release date set for it. So there we go. All right. And that's well, you know, my- You know, it's actually funny. I actually have CBS All Access up literally to uh, cancel. Um, so I'll have to catch this mini series uh, on the next time that I re-up yep. for a month. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's it. Go ahead and pony up that extra three bucks and do the commercial free. Ah, so tasty. The only thing I want to say on this topic, though, is with with a CBS All Access, uh, especially since it is CBS, they are on the air. I'd love to see them just... Instead of the stuff that's actually on CBS, put this content up on on the show as an actual broadcast. Uh, I think they could get a lot more um, um, in advertising by uh, by actually taking a chance on some of these uh, these uh, various shows instead of trying to reside them all in a subscription service. I would kind of like to see them. It'd be interesting to see. Maybe they could come to All Access first, and then when their season is done, find their way to network television. Yeah, imagine them as a like a summer run uh-huh. um, after they've they've been on All Access for a year. Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting idea. I like that idea. I think that would really work. I mean, because we were Tom and I had mentioned when he uh, when he watched Picard, you could tell Picard was still filmed and designed to have commercial breaks. Oh, yes. So they're obviously still thinking about these things showing up on standard network television just in case. So it's like, so so do it. You have the network. You're always looking for stuff to put on. We can go with one less reality show. (laughs) No! No! You put the money into producing this thing. Get some more traction out of it. Don't do any more... Uh, 1970s TV show remakes. I mean, that's kind of getting old. <laughs> yes, there will be people like myself that might go, well, I won't watch it. I'm not going to pay for all access, but I'll, I'll wait till it shows up on regular TV. But there's still going to be probably more people that are going to go, no, nah, I'll spend 10 bucks. And, and not I tell help. you what, you, you know, they, they put it on uh, on commercial television broadcast. I will buy an extra um, roll of bounty uh, when I see the commercial. There you go. (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, that is going to do it for the news. We're going to take a short break here. We'll play a promo for another podcast. In fact, I think I'll play a promo for the B-Movie podcast since we've got Nick Brown here with us. What? (laughs) And then when we return, we are are still in the 70s. We haven't been able to get out of the 1970s. In fact, I think this film was the same year as the previous one, 1971, Werewolves on Wheels. Ow! Enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Filmax, Chiller Theater, 
or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. I am called one. One. I come to offer you youth and fresh, fresh blood. Hey, we all know how we're going to die, baby. We're going to crash and burn. Werewolves on Wheels, starring Steve Oliver and Severn Darden. I write your unholy name thrice in blood. This gang thought they were tough. The supernatural challenged them. Their fight for survival was savage. As one by one they became terrified, bloodthirsty werewolves on wheels. Rated R from the Fanfare Corporation. The Werewolf on Wheels, a motorcycle gang, the Devil's Advocates, find their latest ride to be more than they expected when they stumble on a cult at an out-of-the-way monastery. And that's really kind of the premise. That, that's <laughs> that's kind of like all you really want to say without completely giving away the entire film. <laughs> I was sat down and it's like, okay, I need to write out a little synopsis. And I'm like, what else, what else can I say? <laughs> um... Was there an entire film? Yeah, no, I know this is something that... I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, let, I'm let, let, to, let's, I'm, let's start with this. I'm the one that brought this to the table. Because yes, you did. <laughs> this is a film I stumbled on on Amazon Prime. as just another one of those films, because you watch this other weird-ass shit, you might like this one, too. <laughs> And so I gave it a shot because it was it was short. It's only it was only a little over an hour. I'm like, yeah, I'll knock that out. That sounds like werewolves and motorcycles. Sure, what the heck? So I watched it. Doesn't live up to the title, perhaps, <laughs> but I actually found it to be a a much better production than I was expecting for the time and for the title. I was expecting something really cheap and really kind of awful. And I actually found myself enjoying what I was watching and find it to be a, a much more well-directed and, and a bigger production than I would have expected. And so that's why I kept bringing it up. And by that description alone, Tom was like, well, that sounds like something I'd be interested in. You know, I, I might have to check out. I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's do it on the show and I'll get Nick because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's the werewolf guy and we'll talk about it. And I have to admit, watching it the second time, I start noticing a little bit more of the clunkiness of this film. You <laughs> must have been tired on the first watch. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to interview you both. Uh, uh, Nick, you're the werewolf guy. Chris, this was the thing that uh, that you liked. 
starting with Chris, you, you went into it a little bit about um, what you liked about this, but can you expand on that? And did you get any more of it out of the second watch? Yeah, well, the same thing out of the second watch is because I thought there was a sort of sense of realism. I mean, this was a, a road movie. It was a, mo- a mm-hmm. this was just a couple years after like Easy Rider. Obviously, someone was trying to capitalize on that. So it's like, let's do motorcycles on the open road. Let's do it. And so you've got a motorcycle gang that felt like, I mean, I don't have vast experience with motorcycle gangs from the 1970s, but it just felt a very real. The, the characters, uh, the way they interacted, uh, how they uh, interacted with the rest of the world. There was a sort of sense of realism that I thought was really put on screen really well. And it turns out that it, many of the people that you appear are indeed were just motorcycle gang members that they hired to be in the movie. And the rest of the riders were just, you know, stunt men and stuff that were probably, let's be honest, probably members of some motorcycle gang at some point or another in their lives. So I think that might be where that all came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it felt like a movie that didn't star a lot of stars. No. But there were still talented actors, is I think is what I saw in this film. Interesting. Nick, I know you said you had watched this film before. I had a feeling maybe it might have come up. Uh, so when, where, how, and why maybe for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we did this one on the uh, B-Movie cast about a year and a half ago. Did you? And Yeah, we did. And uh, that was one that uh, I was actually visiting Mary in South Carolina. And so if I remember right, we actually watch the movie at her house and then cut the podcast uh, upstairs in the uh, in the podcast cave oh, as how, it were how so, did i miss so, this one i will have to go back <laughs> yeah well you know it's it it's uh, yeah <laughs> now it's and, in the archive well and the thing is i had already seen the movie before that because i kind of went on a vision quest of watching uh werewolf movies because Fiona and I for a while had kicked around the idea of writing a uh, a book about the history of werewolves in cinema and we did have some interest from a couple of publishers but when we dug into what they were looking for in a book they were looking for they weren't looking for what we were looking to write mm-hmm. and it would have been a lot of work to put that book together for not a lot of payout for it. So instead we did a cookbook, but anyway, <laughs> um, but the, uh, my thing about werewolves with on wheels is, and yeah, they were, it was mostly real bikers and, you know, there's this whole bit where they're doing stunts, I guess, bike stunts at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that was just, they were just rolling down the road filming these guys showing off. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it was kind of like reality TV, uh, just early days thinking about it, you know, because it's just these bikers being bikers. Um, you, It's funny you said about how realistic it felt, <coughs> because the biker part felt sort of realistic to me. But what didn't was the music. It's like... 
the bikers would be tooling down the road doing biker stuff. And I felt like the music was more like we should be watching some hippies in a van going mm. off to get killed by a guy with a chainsaw. All right, you know, yeah. You know, different different set of violence looking at it. But, you know, that was me. Yeah, it's a it's pretty it's a pretty good werewolf movie that doesn't really have any werewolves in it. Um, <laughs> but it is a it's a good bike movie and, and I think what you had going on back in the 70s, you touched on it with the uh, the whole Easy Rider and the whole, you know, there were dozens of biker-related movies. But the other thing that was coming about at this time, you know, this was when Anton LaVey was putting out his Satanic Verses. And, you know, the Church of Satan was making the news and Satan worshippers were everywhere. And, of course, on the big screen... Satan worshippers were just popping. I mean, you couldn't sling a dead cat without hitting a hitting a Satanist. I mean, especially at the drive-ins or raising a devil because yeah, exactly. You know, they're just cats, just, you know. just it's like you know, just I mean, it's like whack a mole with Satan. He's everywhere, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, because I mean, you had movies. You had Touch of Satan. You had Satan's Daughters. You know, you had uh, got. God help it, you had Graydon Clark with Satan's Cheerleaders. <laughs> you know, all these movies were coming out. The Devil's Reign. And I think for that one, we had a big kickoff with Rosemary's Baby, which, again, was about the same time as Easy Rider. And both of those came out. If I remember my dates right, both of them were 69. And this was 71. Mm-hmm. So you were right on the end of this, hey, Satan's cool. Hey, bikers are cool. <laughs> Hey, what do we do? Let's put Satan and bikers together in a movie. Okay, but what'll be a really good catch? I know. Let's have Satan turn them into werewolves. And so that's where we run with this. And it is interesting because if you know anything about werewolf lore, forget movies. If you just go back and look at the history of werewolves and werewolf mythology... Uh, there was an entire school of thought on lycanthropy, which was that it was actually pacts with the devil that granted you this power. And, you know, there were various means, like Satan could give you this wool, this belt made out of wolf skin. And if you put on the belt, you would become a wolf. You know, things of that nature. And of course, you know, you could take on the form of a wolf. So it isn't heard of that this satanic cult would cause lycanthropy. Uh, I'm talking about this like all this stuff's real, by the way, because, <laughs> because you know, I'm not going to say it isn't. And I'm also not going to say it was aliens, but it was aliens. But anyway, um, <clears throat> no, it's just the the whole thing actually fits together better than it should. I mean, the bikers are kind of stupid because, hey, I'm a biker. I'm a tough guy. Here we are in the middle of a field and a bunch of monks come up, start giving us wine and bread. Yeah, I'm going to eat that. That's just bad karma. (laughs) So uh, that's my thought. So what else? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do have my top ten things I learned from this movie. Oh, that's good. Which I actually learned from this movie. Oh, yeah. There were ten things, you know, to learn from this. I don't know if I actually learned them, but I did write them down. Thing number one, 
you don't need a lot of werewolves in your werewolf movie. No. Uh, the movie was one hour and 19 minutes long, and the first time you actually see a werewolf is at one hour and 11 minutes. <laughs> Before that, you saw shadows and a fuzzy mitten. <laughs> And, by the way, the fuzzy mitten did not come in until 39 minutes in. So, not a lot of werewolves in your werewolf movie. Uh, let's see. Other things I learned. Satan worshippers suck in fist fights. Uh, <laughs> don't take food or drink from robe, robed guys hanging out by the Church of Satan. Uh, when your girlfriend is done dancing for a satanic cult, uh, you know, she might not be normal. Uh, let's see. Cars in junkyards make great firewood. Uh, to turn people into werewolves, you just have to put a little black soot on them. If bikers would take more baths and wash off their soot, maybe Satan wouldn't turn them into werewolves. Hmm. So really taking a bath might be the key here. Uh, there's a lumberjack biker and lumberjack bikers get all the chicks. Also, Another fact, lumberjack bikers do terrible John Wayne impersonations. Oh, yes. And finally... Are we talking about Fat Carl Urban? Yes, we are talking about Fat Carl Urban, the lumberjack biker, (laughs) as I like to call him. And then you have my last fact. Oh, well, two more facts, which actually counted to 11, because I can't count. Oh, that's Uh, one too many. I know, right? The cinematographer caught a large flock of starlings on film and he was going to use the hell out of that so we're just going to see a lot of starlings taking off and finally werewolves biggest weakness are sticks (laughs) okay that's my uh those are my that's my takeaways from werewolves on wheels yep those are good takeaways so tom this is the first time you've watched the film and absolutely and yeah you only watched it because of me (laughs) But, and it's because I love you, man. <laughs> but I can't help but go all mystery science theater on this thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I was gonna. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Is it was this a, a complete to you waste of time? I mean, was there anything in this film that you actually enjoyed, or was this one that I mean, had you watched it and turned it on and decided to watch it on your own, you would have immediately regretted and turned it off. I mean. <laughs> Well, as I've recently explained to my girlfriend, I am plagued with the need, the absolutely need, that if I start a movie, I will finish that movie. So, <laughs> so I, I don't care how bad it is, I got to see it through to the end. Um, no, I was not upset to watch this, uh, it, but I definitely switched gears uh, as I was starting to watch this because. Uh, I had to start looking at it in another light. Uh, I, I I get that sense of like what Nick's talking about, what you were talking about. This is a this is a film that came out of other films. It's it's the biker culture, the satanic culture, um, and it's playing on those things. And and yes, uh, cameraman who likes starlings, that kind of thing. And it wasn't not enjoyable, but it was oftentimes quite laughable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did feel like we were getting a sense of what biker culture was like, 
but it made me incredibly depressed on what biker culture was like. Because <laughs> I'm like, you guys are road warriors and badasses, and I don't even understand how you manage. Uh, I get why the werewolf came up because those guys had to have been starving. <laughs> so why not eat each other? <laughs> so. But yeah, no, it was just kind of all over the map. I'm having that experience of um, kind of like uh, rock climbing in in, uh, in uh, one of the mystery science theater movies where, okay, we're riding on the bikes again, and we're riding on the bikes again, and we're riding on the bikes again. Right, right. There was a whole lot of padding um, in there for those kind of things. If you actually took the story and dialogue parts of the movie, you could have probably condensed the whole thing down to about 15, 20 minutes. So. <laughs> That's actually way more accurate than it should be. Um, I, I'll say this, you know, they, uh, they were using the hell out of their production value. Mm-hmm. You know, that the production value was the bikes and the bikers, and they used the hell out of it. You know. Yeah, and now for a lower budget film too. No, uh, going with what you were saying, Chris, the production's actually pretty solid. I mean, the effects on the werewolf sucked out, right? Um, <laughs> but they clearly just bought some costume out of a store that said, "I want to be look fuzzy." Um, but I mean, it was shot well. It was interesting to watch for those parts. It just some of it would just lose. Like some one of you, please explain to me the whole. Uh, the dust storm comes up, and now all of a sudden the bikes are in sand dunes, and then they immediately find their way, and and they immediately find their way back to the road in like the next scene. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what that was supposed to be. No, it, that, <laughs> or what? Yeah, it was just exercising the mysticism of whatever the heck was going on. There's actually a couple moments in that where I think it's the fault. I don't know if it's the fault of the writer or the fault of the director or the fault of the editor. I I don't know. Uh, But there are moments where things happen. Like they, they rescue uh, the girlfriend, uh, Helen from the, uh, the cult. She's been hypnotized or, or, you know, done their, uh, Oh, what was the, what, what do you call the? What did that one biker call it about being a, a cult member? You just got to do the your ooga loogas or whatever it is. Yeah, your yeah. oogie boogie dance yeah. or whatever. Because they and God, they ran that into the ground. Yes. But anyway, but anyway <laughs> they they rescue her and they they get her away. They they easily you know beat up the 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 cult and they get her away and then it's they, it's just dropped. She seems fine. Yeah. Everyone's good. They rescue her. She's been dancing naked to this cult. Next time we see her, she's completely clothed again and on the back of the bike, and everyone's cool. And now we're just going to go to the desert and clear our heads. Nothing. No one addresses that. Uh, at no point. Uh, but then they bring it up again. She sees something in the fire, and she freaks out, and he goes to chase after her. And then again, it's just dropped. There's no follow-through with that sort of stuff. And I, it's like, was there something there? I, I have to think there was something there when someone wrote it. But for some reason, it just didn't get onto the film. Well, don't don't forget, she bit him like a vampire to turn him into a werewolf. Yes, that happened too. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's how you do it, man. 
I'm telling they, you. It, it was a little genre mixing uh, as it <laughs> as it went through. Um, yeah, because someone has to explain to me how sacrificing a cat and dipping oversized bread into its blood makes werewolves. But <laughs> power Satan, man, but power Satan, power Satan. Yeah, that's and that that actually to me was probably the most sensical thing because again, I you know. It, but the problem is, if you look at the lore, you did not curse somebody. Generally speaking, you would not curse somebody to become a werewolf. That would be something that you would have to actively go after. Hmm. You know, in in that particular vein of the lore, actual werewolf lore. But then again, what I'm doing here is I'm applying actual werewolf lore to this movie, and I don't know that the guy who wrote the movie knew what a werewolf was. Right. <laughs> you know, See, but- I know, I know that he knew that they wore fuzzy mittens because that shows up at 39 minutes. But <laughs> and I was actually watching the counter to see when we would have the first werewolves. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a little disappointing. I mean, it was dir- it was written and directed by this Miter- Michael uh, Levesque. Le- yeah. Levesque. Mm-hmm. So it's a little disappointing if he wrote the scenes that seemed to have gotten dropped. Why didn't he push harder? I mean, it was his film. Why weren't they in the movie? Or maybe it was just the maybe those reels got lost. Maybe they got damaged in production or something like that. I, I don't know. This would be one of those ones where it's like, I want to talk to this guy to find out what really happened here. Damn it, Mr. Levesque. Uh, release the director's cut. <laughs> yeah. The director's cut, by the way, is 120 minutes long. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it has just more of her dancing naked with skulls and snakes. Well, that, more, so, that part I could probably get on board with, as long as yeah. it's just not more of the motorcycles just riding down the road. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what's funny. Uh, yeah. is I actually, that's some of the stuff I like the most. Uh, I actually liked the music, but, yeah, Nick, you bring up a good point that, it might be decent music, but it was a soundtrack to a different film. Yeah, that was it. It was good music. And that's the thing. I wasn't dissing the music. It just didn't feel like the music that these bikers... It didn't bikers, feel like biker music. Yeah, you know, unless they were the bikers from, you know, Mad Max. <laughs> you know, the original Mad Max where you had that camp group of bikers oh, going yeah. across Australia. You know, the very, ooh, push me, pull you, ooh, those guys, yeah, that music kind of fits them. Does it fit, you know, did it fit Hell's Advocates? Yeah, no, probably not. You know, maybe not. I don't know. The only real, the only real character in the whole film is Taro, the, the biker that, that's into reading people's, uh, um, fortunes and such. He was the only one with any like real development of any kind because he had this thing about women and rather not wanting anything to do with women and how he only read fortunes for men and how he was very tied to this this biker gang but is becoming disillusioned by what's happening to the biker gang that he he can't he can't be there anymore. 
I found that compelling and it didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get more of that. There, the story was there. Yeah, it's almost unfortunate that they, they shoehorned the werewolf angle into a, what could have been a really good biker movie. Honestly, yeah. yes. Because I actually, yeah, I really liked some of the uh, the sort of power struggle that was going on, that seemed to be going on within the biker gang. Uh, yeah, you had Taro, who was, like Tom said, was getting disillusioned with the gang. I don't think I can ride with you guys anymore. Uh, Adam, their leader, who you almost get the feeling that Adam himself is getting maybe a little bored of the life. But I think yeah. in his case, he doesn't know any way else to live. Uh, I, I think that's all interesting. And then you had a couple hints that uh, some of the other guys are, are looking to Tarot like, well, maybe maybe you should be the next president or the, or the next leader. And Tarot's like, no way, man. I, I don't want anything to do with this. And I'm like, all right, yeah, that – you're right. That, that was interesting. That was the movie. Yeah, that was that a movie. Was... And, yeah, it doesn't yeah. go anywhere. And they had to, for some reason, just turn it into a horror film in the end. It's like they had two ideas – you know, but these two ideas, two great ideas that weren't great together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was not peanut butter and chocolate. No, um, no, this was, peanut, was, this, uh... this was chocolate and mayonnaise or something. But this is why I'm not disappointed in watching. I, what I'm disappointed in uh, it, it, is that there there was a hint of something there, and we didn't get it. We didn't. They, they they went for their gimmick instead of building on what actually had some solid potential. I mean, the relationship alone between Taro and Adam, uh, how Adam absolutely loves Taro, even though he gives him shit about uh, reading fortunes and all that. But uh, he he loves this man. And in fact, actually, that was what was kind of cool about the biker gang altogether. Uh they were a pack of playful, fun little boys that just happened to beat the shit out of anybody else that wasn't one of them. But no, the, there there was a camaraderie there. And if you had just centered the entire movie movie around the relationship of these guys, um, I think there was a lot more potential there. I could see that. And, you know, if I were to take – if you were to take out – the werewolf angle and just make it a curse or something of that nature. I think the movie might've worked a little better too. You know, it, it could have used some more development of those subplot lines, but again, it just goes back to the movie was kind of schizophrenic. It just didn't know what it was. And so it tried to be all sorts of different things that weren't really related. And neither of the stories were, Anything that you would expect from a movie that's titled Werewolf on Wheels. Yeah. I, I was really, when I saw the title, my the image that comes to mind is, oh my gosh, this is like a pack of werewolves that during the day, they're biker gangs and they go town to yeah. town and then they, they woof out and, and, and terrorize the countryside or something like that. I mean, that's what I was expecting. And, that's, and I'd that watch isn't the what, hell out of yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what you get at all. I mean, you don't see a werewolf on wheels like until, like Nick said, an hour and 17 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, okay, think about this. You know, you guys both mentioned the fact that the production value looks really good on this. It looks like a decent, it's a well-made movie overall, with yes. the exception of the werewolves. It's and 1971, I, but yes. It's, it's 1971, I would agree. And 
this is something I've talked with a lot of filmmakers about is, you know, like I'll take us back to we were talking about the film The Car. Okay, you look at the car, the car looks really good. The cinematography is really good in that film. And I was talking with uh, some filmmakers, and we were talking about a lot of these older movies. And one of the things is, a lot of them were, you had to have a certain high level of technical expertise just to be able to work with 35mm film. So if you were shooting in 35 you had to be able to make it to a certain level. If if you didn't make it, it was obvious. If you did make it, you had a very cinematic feel to your movie, even if it was low, low budget. Mm. And I got to thinking about it. I don't know what the budget was for this movie, but I got to thinking about it after you guys brought it up. And there are no locations in this movie. There is... There are two gas stations and a church of Satan. Hmm. Everything else is just in the middle of nowhere, in a junkyard desert. So as far as production cost goes, this this would actually be a very low-budget film to make. And I was able to find out they did shoot it in 16 days, which is the fastest I've heard of a theatrical release film being shot in. But it is pretty fast for a film. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's especially pre-video. Yeah, you get the feeling that, um, according to IMDb, the budget was about $265,000. Okay. Which, in today's money, would be about $85 million, $90 million, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something <laughs> yeah, like just, that. Yeah, you know, So, it, but it all, went to, uh, it all went to the main cast members, right? You know, yeah. I think it was Severin Darden... He cost sixty million, I think, to have. Oh, yeah, absolutely, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, you know what you were saying before? There are no, like you were saying, locations. I mean, just uh, Brawley, California. That's as location as they get. Um, a few, yeah. a few places in California, it, and it gives that it gives it a sense of that guerrilla filmmaking. I think and, you know? uh, there was the uh, the one gas station, one the uh, with the the one gas station that the owner was actually a local. That they just kind of fell in love with and wanted to be in the film, the the one the uh, one old guy that comes out and he's like, um, has to teach him how to pump the gas and yes. gives him an earful and this is the desert, damn straight or all that stuff. Yeah, that was just a yeah. you know what that even felt like a, a a moment where somebody was just happening to film the old guy coming out right. <laughs> It totally did, I, and I was curious, and now that you brought that up, now that just totally makes sense. This is just some guy that they found and is just... And he's a great... I mean, could you ask for a better character than a guy that is just literally a character like that? Yeah. You couldn't have written that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and they they lingered on that scene for a long time. And it's just because that guy was a character. Mm -hmm. and it, so, you know, they just let him run. Yeah, and it's an and interesting scene. I, I have to think yeah. that entire scene was effectively ad-libbed. Yeah, and thank God they did it, because if they hadn't, the movie would only been 14 minutes long. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it was a short film. <laughs> Weirdly enough, IMDb keeps giving it a, a, a runtime of an hour 25 but as far as I can see, anywhere actually watching the video, it's only like an hour nineteen. Um, yeah, and that 
that may be the original cut. From my understanding, there was a lot more profanity and a lot more violence. Really? In the original cut. Really? And apparently they wanted an R rating. And remember, this was back in the day, you couldn't get a theatrical release without an MPAA rating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they wanted an R rating, so they had to cut a bunch out. So I'm wondering if that six minutes isn't something that was cut from the film. And, you know, they said it was profanity and violence. Hmm. I I would hazard a guess there might have been more to that chick dancing with the snake and the skulls, too. You know, you can only have a woman naked for so long in the U.S. and get a and get an R rating. I mean, it's just that's the way it is. The DVD release does have some scenes that were omitted. So, well, oh, interesting that it was actually ever on DVD. Um, that's something I'm going to have to hunt for. <laughs> well, when you find it, let us. Know. You know what? Juan will have it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to definitely reach out when we're allowed to go to Monster Bash again. This is going to be on my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, right now, every uh, Mary and I are both planning on hitting the October Bash. Are you? So, yeah, we're. Assuming that the world is uh, back to quasi normal by October, we're uh, we've talked to Ron and we're both moving our tables to the October bash. Oh, cool, cool. So yeah, I mean, so. I I've officially canceled my June reservation, and yeah, I have my yeah. tickets, and a lot of people have said that they're going to reach out to uh, they have reached out to Ron, and he said that he'd accept it for the October bash, and so I'm going to yeah. play it by ear and see what happens, and I give. Monster Bash, fortunately, is not the most expensive uh, con in the world. So if I have to eat these year's tickets, I don't mind because it's money that keeps the bash going. But yeah, neither here nor there. Anyway, that's yeah. I'll definitely be looking for Werewolf on Wheels on DVD when I go to the bash, though. Whichever, yeah. whichever one that's going to be. Yeah. Now well, the only other real, I mean, the only like star is this Stephen Oliver that plays Adam, and I call him a star because he actually was in other films. Um, yes, not much, not a whole lot. And the, uh, the woman that played his girlfriend, Helen, DJ Anderson, this was her last appearance. She actually was in a few films prior to this. And then this looks like her last appearance and she left, left acting. Gee, I wonder why she wanted to go out on top. Now I did notice, and if IMDB and Wikipedia is believed the actor that played the, the guy pill is named William Gray. He played Bobby in the 1951 The Day the Earth Stood Still. No, he was the kid that 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 befriends um, Klaatu. Well, holy Verada Nictos! <laughs> <laughs> how how about that? I'm like, I I just stumbled on that. I'm like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, somebody way, with an actual man. credit. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I'll never watch Day the Earth Stood Still again the same way. I'm gonna be like, I know what's gonna happen to you. Wow. Hey, he was also in Ma and Pa Kettle at the fair. <laughs> A classic. I'm sorry, but those kind of credits, though, makes him like all that much more interesting than a person that I'd, I would want to talk to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like, it's... you've had a diverse career despite not really going anywhere. Okay, it's funny, though. You said he was the one star that you found. Because I actually, if you look at Severin Darden, that dude was a working actor. Yes, he was. 
I mean, he was in 123 different roles, according to IMDb. And, yeah, he just was in everything. Right, yeah. I should I should not have said the only star. You're right. He was definitely a huge character actor. Um, people would know him from, was it the um, the last uh, Planet of the Apes film or the last and second Battle to the last? for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. I think it was the second when he was the uh, head of the Omega cult. No, I think he was... I think he was the, was the leader he? of, like, the military... Uh, oh, yeah, maybe that he was. He was one of the gorillas. Right. Oh, okay. Culp was Culp. Uh, apparently... In Conquest, the, okay. Uh, Battle for. Oh, all right. Okay, and Battle... Oh, no, and, and, and Conquest. Oh, he's in two of them. There you go. So, look at that recurring role, Batman. Holy cats. <laughs> but, okay, I recognize him. From the Bigfoot episodes of the Six Million Dollar Man. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like we were, like you were saying, character actor, been in a ton of things. Just he would just yeah. pop up. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the aliens, wasn't and, he? Yeah. And okay. Yes. I thought. Okay. He was one of the aliens. But I'll tell you what. I really recognized him from, and I just had to look this up. He was Doctor Meredith in Real Genius. Oh, the, okay. The, and okay, Real Genius was Val Kilmer from about 1985. Yep. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny kind of 1980s version of Doctor Strangelove is how I've heard it de- described. But That's a stretch. <laughs> well, it's a stretch, but I like it. I like the movie. Okay. But Dr. Meredith, the guy who says, I like to get down uh, verbally with the students. (laughs) Well, that's a hell of a line. (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely is. So there you go. So, okay, I got excited. Leave me alone, guys. Hey, he was also in Back to School as another professor. (laughs) Ah, nice. And he he was Dr. Van Helsing in Saturday the 14th. I was just looking up the... uh cinematographer of this film Isidore Mankowski he's got an interesting and eclectic uh, filmography, filmography as well uh, just a couple selected filmography things, he's uh, Werewolf on Wheels yes, he uh, would do Scream, Blackula Scream he oh. would go on to do the Muppet movie he worked wow. on Somewhere in Time The <clears throat> Jazz Singer in 1980 uh, he would do Ewoks the Battle for Ender in nineteen eighty five. Oh well thank God. <laughs> hey, I actually kinda like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. So very uh quite an interesting mean interesting and eclectic uh, uh credits to his name. Well, you know, uh, that was one of the things uh I don't know that you could argue too much. The filmography or uh, the the cinematography, uh Got my words mixed up there. Uh, that was actually not. That was fairly solid. Yes, it was. No, it was. It was good stuff, and they did a good job with all the stuff where they were filming the bikers. And that's, you know, filming people doing stuff on the road isn't as easy as it sounds. So, and again, uh, for uh, for a quickly shot and uh, a lower budget film. Um, I mean, the lighting and all that was actually, for what was mostly a lot of low light, uh, they did pretty well. Uh, yeah. It was effective. You could see, uh, but had the uh, the effect that they were going for. Yeah. 
And when you couldn't see, it was because they wanted you to think there were werewolves, but <laughs> didn't want to pay to show them. So, you know, good on them for using bad lighting to affect. There you go. Yeah, I think this film is one another, at least for me anyway, I can only speak for myself. It's a film that is a film that I can acknowledge is not a great film, but I still find entertaining. Um, yeah. I think it suffers maybe from the time of which it was created. It was 1971. It was about bikers. I'm guessing there was a lot of drugs and alcohol uh, in, the, in those 16 days, and that might explain you know some of the odd choices and why sometimes they went for more of the the artsy kind of. Um, we'll show this scene again to represent this other scene instead of actually filming mm-hmm. another scene. Uh, kind of move. I mean, maybe that had something to do with it. But yeah, I I still enjoy the film. Even though, yes, it leaves me going, well, what happened? Why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was definitely entertaining, even though it was a hot mess. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. And, yeah, I agree with you. It was a fun – it was an entertaining little movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, this is the third time I've watched it. Will there be a fourth time? Only if I'm drinking, um, you know, or I find that missing. The golden he's got to get six. the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the golden six is what I'm going to call it. <laughs> Those golden six minutes of cursing and punching that are going to make this movie all the better. Yep. I, I think you've invested more into the that making that statement than the movie was probably worth. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's the Golden Six, bro. The Golden Six. <laughs> I like it. Well, I, Nick, I appreciate you coming on and talking about the film with us. I, like I said, it was, it was werewolves, and I just you're, you're the first man I think of. I can't help it. Well, I hope that's a good well, thing. I appreciate. I appreciate <laughs> it. I I am glad I was the first man you thought of for werewolves, and not something uh, more seedy like you know, guy to. You know, guy, you'll most likely be bailed out after being arrested at a strip club, <laughs> something like that. I uh, I would much rather be the werewolf guy than that. So thank you. No, no problem. He'll, he'll we'll bring you back for human centipede. Oh, oh well, thank. And, okay, if you, uh, you know, okay, I've uh, Chris. Uh, okay, <laughs> human centipede. Oh, uh, that my wasn't God. a legitimate request. <laughs> I, I I was going to say, I have a certain unfortunate thing about Human Centipede. Oh, I God. Up, which I'm is, I was, I, at, I, was, I was at the Texas Frightmare Weekend in 2011. No, 2010. And I got drunk with Dieter Lasser, who played the Doctor, and Tom Six, who directed and wrote it. Interesting. And so, yeah, I really didn't, I don't like that movie, and I feel dirty knowing that I've watched it, but I did go drinking with those guys. <laughs> so, did, there you did go. Did that give you any insight into that film <laughs> that you didn't no, have before? Well, okay, he made my, it into the sequel, though. My one bit of insight is that Dieter Laser is exactly what he is on the screen. That dude is just Freaking crazy, okay. but that's beside the point. So, <laughs> alrighty. Yeah. Well, I know you've been on the show once before, Nick, but let's go ahead and let uh, let's remind folks where they can find you. Sure. 
All right. Well, the easiest place to find me anymore, uh, I am the co-host of the B-Movie podcast, which is uh, at bmoviecast.com. And all my other links at this point point to authornickbrown.com, and that's uh, N-I-C Brown, because my parents were too poor to afford a K. So it's authornickbrown.com. And that'll, that gets you to everything I do. Movies I've made, books I've written, comments I've made on the internet that are best left unsaid, <laughs> all that good stuff. So. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I am very happy to own a couple of the books that you have written, including uh, the book that you wrote with your, your wonderful wife, the B-Movie Cookbook, which I understand we are going to get a volume two. We are getting a volume two. As a matter of fact, uh, we just got the proof copies back, and because I'm not the smartest tool in the shed sometimes, I don't know why I did this, but I ordered five proof copies. And for those who don't know, a proof copy is a copy of the book that comes in so you can look at it and decide if there's any changes that need to be made before it's released. Um, and actually, we did make a couple of changes. So I have five proof copies that aren't even going to be exactly like the book when it's released. And I want to give one of those away right now to one of your listeners, Chris. Oh, fantastic. That'll be fun. So to do that, it, I could just say, hey, first person to email Chris is a winner, but it's not going to be that easy, kids. <laughs> you have to be the first person that emails Chris with the answer to this trivia question. Are you ready, folks? Drum roll, please. Sitting on the edge of my seat. I know. Very exciting. Okay, so uh, who directed the human centipede? No, wait. No, no, no. I wanted a real trivia question. Uh, let's go with... What was the first film sequel to use the title of the first film, but with a number following it? So, what was the first film to you to have a sequel that used the the original film's name, but followed with a number, such as Part Two, Number Two, etc.? Because there have been a lot of film sequels done since the start of film. But most of them just had a separate name, and you just sort of had to figure out that it was a sequel. All right. So if anybody has an answer for that, they can send that answer to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. And the first answer, correct answer I get, I will let you know, and I will get you in touch with Nick or, at least, or get your information and pass it along to him, however uh, works out the best, and he will send you a copy of the B-Movie Cookbook. Uh, give us kind of an idea of what they'll be getting, Nick, just to just explain what the B-Movie Cookbook is. Well, you know, we did the first B-Movie Cookbook, which is we took 15 films from the 1950s, and Fiona uh, is a, she's a professional writer. That's what she does for a living, and she does mostly nonfiction. She does educational books, history books, things of that nature, and she had just written a book called A Culinary History of Kentucky, which is kind of a recipe and history book, and I got the idea, let's do that for movies. So we took 15 films from the 1950s, she created Dishes and meals themed around the movies or based on stuff that's in the movies. 
and we've actually done pretty well with this with the book. It was the 1950s, so we decided to go ahead and do one for the 1960s. Now, for the 1960s, we cut it to 12 movies instead of 15, but we've supplemented that with uh, I met actress Beverly Washburn at the Monster Bash a couple of times, and Beverly played Elizabeth in the film Spider Baby. And I talked to her last summer when we were there, and she graciously agreed to do an interview with us, provide us with some recipes, and also she provided us with over a dozen photos from the set of the film Spider Baby. Ah, neat. And so, and so we've got a collection of photos. Uh, we have a really extensive interview with Beverly Washburn, as well as Spider Baby being one of the 12 movies that we featured. So this B-movie cookbook is actually bigger than the first B-movie cookbook, even though we did fewer movies. We actually kind of had to cut back on the movies because, you know, when you're doing a full-color uh, book like this, you got to try and keep it at a certain page count to keep the price down. So, but I think this one's a better cook. I think this is a better book than the first one. Very excited to have it out. Uh, you know, it's, and it will be available. It's available for pre-order now on, uh, authornickbrown.com. Or if you know the answer to the trivia question, you could get one of those proof copies for your own. That's right. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to hold off. I knew you would uh, start at the pre-orders, and then uh, you mentioned that you would might have some available at the June Bash, and I was like, "Oh, I'll hold off to the Bash, so I can get you, I can get you to sign it when I when I buy it." And so, yeah, hopefully that'll yeah. still happen at some point. Well, all of the if you want to get a copy, all of the copies will be signed uh, if you buy them through authornickbrown.com. Uh, also. Uh, we were originally going to do the premiere of the book at the Monster Bash because in addition to wanting to premiere it at an event that is really themed around classic films, uh, the young lady who did all of the artwork is an artist named Casey Knoll, and she's out of Pittsburgh. And I've actually met – we actually met her at the Monster Bash also. And Casey uh, does a comic series, a web series – uh, called Jamie Jupiter, I believe it is, and I'll need to check that to make sure. But she uh, is always at the bash dressed up in kind of anime oh, clothes it, with blue hair. I was just going to say, she's the one that dresses up as, as the, the suit, like the superhero character. The, yes, young, the young exactly, lady. Yeah, because, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yes. She's fantastic. And and she is an amazing artist, and the the stuff she did for the book was so good that she actually sent us all of the character art in addition to the completed compiled cover. And so we actually took the character art and put in each chapter, we put the character art in the chapter so it could be seen in more detail. Nice. Because it's just so good. And she really did a great job capturing something from each one of those movies for us. That's fantastic. So so I'm real excited about that. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I appreciate it, and I appreciate everybody who's pre-ordered, and I'm just going to say check it out if you get a chance, authornickbrown.com. Sweet. Oh, and by the way, Chris, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to talk werewolves, and maybe sometime we'll actually do a werewolf movie. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Beat me to <Yes>. that. <laughs> 
yeah, we will definitely have you back again. And yeah, we'll have something a little bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit more on target. <laughs> <laughs> I should have found someone that I knew that rides motorcycles. Would probably would have been. <laughs> yeah, it would have been there a little was, more on yeah. point. <laughs> well, there there was more of the on wheels than there were werewolves. I will agree there. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you coming on. It's uh, it's always fantastic to talk to you, and uh, it, it's fun getting a chance to talk to a few of the people that uh, you know I look forward to talking to at least once a year <laughs> at, at some convention or another, and that I doesn't look like I'm going to be able to see. So it's it's fantastic connecting with you and hearing yeah. all the news and uh, seeing what's coming up and everything. Um, what's the latest on the uh, House of Usher? Uh, the Fall of Fall Usher, of Usher excuse is. Me. Uh, Yep, the Fall of Usher. We we wrapped production on that about a year ago, actually. And as is typical with our independent films, uh, my partners filming it was the easy part. Getting through post production has been the challenge. And however, that said, I have seen the final, in theory, the final uh, rough cut of the film. I'm very excited about it. It is a it is a uh, Edgar Allan Poe mashup, and it's a it's a very different kind of uh, psychological horror film. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And when will it be out? I don't have a bloody clue. Okay. <laughs> but when it does come out, I'll be real excited. Good. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> yeah. And and trust me, I'll be real excited. It's like oh. But hey, I think it's on IMDb at this point. I need to check. Oh, but sweet! There anyway, you go. hey. <laughs> well, I'll keep following you, and uh, when you get really excited, I'll know it's coming. <clears throat> <Hey>. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, Nick. Tom, thanks very much. Um, glad you at least enjoyed the film, even if it wasn't necessarily for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the joy of cinema. You can't love them all, but as long as you can appreciate them all, that's all that matters. Very good. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us uh, this time. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another film. Haven't discussed what it's going to be yet. Uh, But until then, thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Thanks.